My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we journey through the Word of God. It's so glad that you're joining me as we continue our journey through the book of Matthew. And today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21, which is this real, uh, very important part of Jesus' ministry because it is the last week of his ministry. And it's starting here and he's, he's walked from Jericho up uh, and uh, they're getting closer to Jerusalem for just this incredible week of Jesus' life. And we're going to look today at verses 1 to 11 uh, of Matthew chapter 21. So let's start in verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Jesus knew that the religious leaders were going to arrest him and condemn him, mock him, scourge him. They were going to deliver him to the Romans for crucifixion. He's, he's already talked about this in, in, in the previous chapter. But he had the courage to not only enter Jerusalem, but to enter it in a very public way and as public a way as possible. Now, this is the first time that we see the contrast of Jesus in his pattern of suppressing publicity. Because previous, remember, he's done all these miracles and he's told people, now, don't go and tell anybody, okay? Go and tell no one. Why? Because he was always aware of the eternal timing of his heavenly father. But now he's aware of the eternal timing and now it's time for him to make his public entrance to Jerusalem. The eternal purposes of God said, now is go time. Now, if Jesus had not deliberately suppressed the popular enthusiasm over him and his credentials as Messiah. If Jesus had wanted it, this would have actually happened a long time ago and it would have happened many times over. Barclay, Jesus could not have chosen a more dramatic moment. It was into a city surging with people, keyed up with religious expectations that he came. Why? Because they're all coming in Jerusalem for the Passover. Carson, the applause and the crowds were not manipulated. They would have occurred in any case, but the ride on a colt, because it was planned, could only be an acted parable, a deliberate act of self-disclosure. Secrecy was now being lifted. And he says, you will find a colt, a donkey, and a colt with the donkey. Jesus was going to ride upon the younger of these animals, the colt. He told the disciples how they'd find the animals, told them to bring both animals. Now, the Hebrew text of Zechariah chapter 9 mentions only one animal, not two. Carson said this, If we assume that Matthew understood Hebrew, the full quotation affirms that Jesus rode on the colt, not on its mother. Mark and Luke say the animal was so young that it had never been ridden. In the midst, then, of this excited crowd, an unbroken animal remains calm under the hands of the Messiah who controls nature. 
Yet again, Jesus showing his divinity in his humanity of his final week. Amazing. France said this, Mark tells us that the cult had never before been ridden so that it would be only prudent to bring its mother as to well reassure it among the noisy crowd. Pool hath need of them, not for any weariness. He who had travelled on foot from Galilee to Bethany could have gone the other two miles, but that he might enter into Jerusalem as was prophesied of him in Zechariah chapter 9. Spurgeon, what a singular conjunction of words is here. The Lord and hath need. Jesus, without laying aside his sovereignty, had taken a nature full of needs. Yet, being in need, he was still the Lord and could command his subjects and requisition their property. All this was done, which might be fulfilled by the prophet. Now here, Jesus is deliberately working to fulfill the prophecy. He's also working to fulfill the prophecy uh, of Daniel's 70 weeks, which Jesus filled to the exact day on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, to the exact day. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 27. He fulfills it to the exact day. You can actually do the, 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 the math. You can do the arithmetic of how many days it is. It's absolutely amazing if you if you talk about all the numbers of days. He follows that to the exact day. Your king is coming. This is the prophecy. Lowly, sitting on a donkey. Jesus came into Jerusalem with humility, but it was with appropriate dignity. And instead of coming on a course, on a horse, as a conquering general, he came on a cult, as was customary, customary for royalty. He came to Jerusalem as the prince of Peace. Now, very interesting. In 1917, December 11, General Allenby came to liberate Jerusalem, to free it from the Ottoman Turkish rule. And absolutely amazing, as he approached the Jaffa Gate before he entered in Jerusalem, he got off his horse and he walked through on foot. He didn't want to enter the holy city in any way, shape or form similar to what Jesus had done 2,000 years before. Isn't that amazing? Even more amazing is I had a family member, my great uncle Bill Thomas came with General Allenby all those years ago to liberate Jerusalem, to bring freedom to it. That's an exciting part of our family history, which I'm very proud of. So let's move on to verse 7. So the disciples, they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Some of them laid their clothes down. They spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down olive branches. That's why Palm Sunday we get olive uh, leaves and, and, and that's, that's the, 
the symbolism of that that week before. They spread them on the road and it was all to honour Jesus as this great triumphant person coming into Jerusalem in the season of the Passover. Spurgeon said this, it is a mark of Christ's presence when the church becomes enthusiastic. We sometimes hear complaints about revivals being too exciting. This age does not generally sin in the direction of being too excited concerning divine things. We have erred so long on the other side that perhaps a little excess in the direction of fervour might not be the worst of all calamities. At any rate, I would not fear to try it. So <laughs> Spurgeon saying, these people saw Jesus, they got excited, they take off their clothes, they're putting them on the, on the ground so that Jesus can ride over them. They're getting the palm trees and he's saying, you know what, we've become so pious in church. We're like, oh no, oh, I don't do enthusiasm. I don't, even for Jesus, I won't, oh no, I won't do that. And that's what Spurgeon's saying. Is that, hey, how about we get a little bit of excess energy? Hosanna to the son of David. That's the opening messianic adoration of Jesus. They look, they're looking to him for salvation. Hosanna, what does it mean? Hosanna means save us now. And it's addressed to the king. Second Samuel chapter 14, second Kings chapter six. And they openly give Jesus the title appropriate for a Messiah, the son of David, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus receives and he encourages this worship. Why? Because just like David said in Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made, the day when the Messiah came as Saviour to Jerusalem in fulfilment of Daniel's prophecy. D.A. Carson, Hosanna transliterates the Hebrew expression that originally was a cry for help, save. In time, it became an invocation of blessing and even an acclamation. The people praise God in the highest heavens for sending the Messiah. William Barclay, essentially it is a people's cry for deliverance and for help in the day of their trouble. It's an oppressed people's cry to their saviour and their king. So when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. Jesus showed that he wasn't afraid of the chief priests, the Pharisees. He knew they were plotting to kill him, and he came openly into the city as a Messiah. Now, interesting observation here from Adam Clark. How strange is it that these same people, these people who said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, took off their clothes and got palms, trees and, and and palm leaves and put them on. Those same people should about five days later change their hosannas for no, away with him, crucify him, crucify him, we'll take Barabbas. How fickle is the multitude? Even when they get right, there is but little hope that they will continue only so long. So it's here. Before Jesus enters the city, that he looks over on the city and he weeps. We read about that in Luke chapter 19. Why? Because Jesus knew that the people of Jerusalem were going to reject him and that was going to mean judgment upon his people. Jesus was a Jew. When you come with me to Israel, how many times have I said that? Maybe you might not come with me. Maybe you'll go yourself. 
One of the walks that you'll do is from the top of the Mount of Olives and you walk down the road, down the hill, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when you get about halfway down the hill, there's a church there. It's called Dominus Flevit. And it's the place that's celebrated as where Jesus looked over the city and he wept. And it's a very poignant place to visit. Because it's a reminder that Jesus knew the repercussions for what he was about to do for his own people who were going to reject him. Why? Because he wants the people to be glad. He wanted to die for people and just for them to be glad that they would have freedom. Spurgeon said, our Lord loves his people to be glad. He tears and cries and he keeps his tears. He's weeping to himself as he wept over Jerusalem. But the gladness he scattered all around so that even the boys and the girls on the streets of Jerusalem made the temple courts to ring with their merry feet and their gladsome songs. And they said, who is this? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? This is Jesus. He's the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. It would have sounded very strange to a lot of people, especially to the religious establishment, that a prophet would come from such an obscure place as Nazareth. So what do we observe as we've looked at this little passage today? One of the things about Jesus last week was the huge range of emotions that he went through. He was celebrated, Hosanna. He cried. He wept over the city as he he knew that it was going to be a broken city. He was then betrayed, the feeling, the emotion of being betrayed. Then he was beaten. Then he was crucified. He went through this incredible range of emotions. And you know why he went through that? All those emotions. For me. For you and for me. So I have to say thank you, Jesus. I have to say thank you. Not like I want to. I shouldn't say I have to. I want to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did for me. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's my simple observation. I know I say it a lot, but I don't think we should ever stop saying thank you to Jesus. Not because he wants it. It's because I want to. I want to personally acknowledge my thanks to him as my Lord and Saviour for doing something that I know I couldn't do and for loving me my failures, my uselessness, <laughs> my obvious flaws, my glaring weaknesses, <laughs> the thoughts in my head that I know I need to submit to him and bring into captivity. He forgives me all those things and he loves me and he still died for me. So, Hosanna, save us. Thank you for saving us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for going through this range of emotions just for us. Help us to ponder that today, to be reminded of what it is to be a Christ follower a Christ acceptor, to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.